this Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTubePrideChallenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 93 of the Snyder Cut. I am your Los Angelino host, Jeff Snyder, coming at you from a friend's apartment here in Hollywood. I'm back in Los Angeles. It's been quite an emotional week. You know, I got back in my car, uh, which has been bouncing around friends' places from, for the last 14 months. And it was like stepping into a time capsule, like bottles of water that I had started drinking a year and a half ago, packages of gum, you know, like... It was just weird. Everything about it has been weird. Um, had to get the car, you know, serviced. Got a new battery. Got an oil change. Things uh, had, had definitely slipped on the car side. Already went to the dentist. Look at this smile. And uh, yeah, I got a whole bunch of appointments. I need to find apartments. If you got any leads, let me know. But right now, we're going to dive in because it's been a crazy busy news week, obviously, of course. You know, of course, when I need things to slow down, they just speed up. So let's just dive into like the comic book stuff of it all, right? That's what we're talking about. Leslie Grace from In the Heights, cast as Batgirl, Barbara Gordon in an HBO Max original movie from the directors of Bad Boys for Life. She reportedly beat out Zoe Deutsch, Haley Lou Richardson, and Isabella Merced. Um, now, I haven't seen In the Heights. Remember, I watched about like 10 minutes of it. It wasn't the right time. I just, I, I turned it off. I'm going to finish. I'm going to watch it. But I can't really weigh in on, on whether she's a good pick or not, because In the Heights is like the only thing she's really done. And I didn't really get a chance to see her performance. I think it was just kind of Anthony Ramos in that first 10 minutes. Um, but like the hire makes sense, you know. Uh, she is, I believe, the third, yeah, I want to say the third third Latin actress to, to become a superhero in, in the DCU following uh, Sasha Kaye, right? Who did, um, she's Supergirl in, in the Flash movie. And yeah, there's, it's, it's all happening right now. Everybody's diversifying. I think it's a good thing. Um, now, I really like Isabella Merced. Uh, maybe she was just a little bit too young for this role. I don't know you know, what, what they had in mind. Maybe if, if Batgirl was more of like a sidekick type of character introduced somewhere else, maybe they would have gone a little bit younger and, and gone with Merced. Um, but yeah, I don't know if she is at the level where she can carry that type of movie yet. Uh, I mean, I know she, you know, did Dora and the, the Explorer and everything. I, I, I just think she's really talented. Um, I'm not going to say Leslie Grace could necessarily carry like a big theatrical feature, but this isn't theatrical, remember? It's HBO Max. Um, I, I do think that she is probably a better hire than like a, a Zoe Deutsch or a Haley Lou Richardson, even though I, I like both of those actresses. Um, yeah, I, I just, I feel like those, those actresses would have been cast if this movie was being made five years ago. You know, that would have been like the traditional sort of Batgirl choice. Um, so yeah, Leslie Grace, don't really know what to say because I'm not really familiar with her work. I know she's a singer. Um, but I, I think she's in good hands with those bad boys for life directors. I didn't, I didn't love that movie, but it also wasn't bad. Um, and again, kudos to, to DC for just, you know, diversifying its universe. All oh, right. It's uh, the other one was Rachel Zegler from West Side Story joining the Shazam sequel. Um, Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. Adding Michaela Cole from I May Destroy You. I did not watch her HBO show, which I've heard nothing but fantastic things about. There's been a lot of speculation that she may have been cast as Storm. I have no idea either way. I don't know if, you know, Storm is in the movie or, you know, if that was Kevin Feige's plan all along was to introduce her in this film or, you know, like, did they need a little something extra after the, the, the passing of Chadwick Boseman? Maybe Kevin asks Coogler to, to write in Storm. I'm not saying Storm is in the movie. I'm not saying Michaela Cole has been cast as Storm. I'm just seeing those things online like everybody else. Um, but, you know, by all accounts, that, that, that show that she did was excellent. I think she got three or four different Emmy nominations for it. I think three individual nominations plus the show. Uh, and she's just obviously, you know, a, a magnetic performer, a very bright young woman, and uh, one of just two new additions to, to Black Panther, right? Along with Tana Horta from Narcos Mexico, who I think is really good. 
He-Hulk added Josh Segarra from Arrow. Blade got a director. That was kind of the big story this week. Uh, Justin Kroll dropped that bomb. Hell of a scoop. It's going to be Basim Tariq, who did uh, Mogul Mowgli, which is a new Riz Ahmed movie coming out. Um, I've really wanted to see that film. You know, obviously Sound Metal was my number one movie of last year. I, th- I think Riz is fantastic. And I've heard good things about, about uh, Mogul Mowgli. Um, yeah, this guy wasn't really on my radar. I'm happy for him because I think that Blade is something, is a really cool Marvel property that you could have a lot of fun with and just do something interesting. And, and I mean, besides like Mahershala Ali, two-time Oscar winner fronting the thing, like it's, it's hard to go wrong there. Um, you know, part of me still wishes, and, and, and I, I do think that Blade is a different sort of thing. It's, it's not like Captain Marvel 2 or, you know, whatever the hell it is, but you know, like uh, a couple hours ago, um, Sean Hader, who did Coda, just signed on to do this movie, Being Human, which is like about Judy Human, who is like the star of the Crip Camp, uh, Crip Camp documentary, which I thought was fantastic. Um, and it's like my fear with Hader coming off of Coda, which is the best movie I've seen all year, was that she was going to get recruited into superhero movies and comic book films and stuff like that. And so I was very relieved that she's not like she, she's, I mean, I, again, I, I just, I thought Coda was fantastic and I love Crip Camp. Like that was also one of my favorite films of last year. So I'm like encouraged that she's decided to tackle this kind of material that's very much in her uh, wheelhouse. You know, Bassam Tariq, it would have been interesting to see. And again, I haven't seen Mogul Mowgli yet, but um, it would have been interesting to see what he did after that. I just wish that Marvel and DC weren't like sucking up all these new filmmakers. Um, I mean, I, I get that these people have the right to do whatever they want, you know, and, and uh, some of them want to take that big paycheck if, if that is in fact what, what it comes with uh, on, on these big movies. But it's also like, if you do want a big Marvel movie, it opens the door, it allows you to do so many other things, right? All the passion projects that you want to do. Um, so, so maybe it's just a case of that, but I don't know. It would have been interesting to see what this guy would have made uh, had Marvel not come calling. And I guess, sorry. It's like a part of me wants to do this feature. I haven't pitched it yet to, to Collider, but uh, you know, like if we went back to like the nineties, you know, like some maybe late nineties. So, so Boogie Nights comes out, you know, if the comic book movies had been like a real thing then, would Paul Thomas Anderson gone off to do X-Men? You know, I, I guess Brian Singer was cut from a similar cloth coming off of, you know, Usual Suspects and 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 uh, App Pupil. But it's like uh, I'd like to go back and revisit history and like see all these filmmakers who you know we love. Would they have gone off to do a comic book movie if the comic book genre had been thriving at that time? Would we have lost like you know? Would we have not gotten The Game or Fight Club from Fincher because he would have gone off to do friggin' Spawn or something like that? I, I don't know. I think it's an, it's an interesting feature worth looking at. Um, moving on from that kind of stuff. Antonio Banderas joined Indiana Jones 5. I kind of love, I, I'm not an Indiana Jones guy at all, but I do kind of love Antonio Banderas. And I just started reading on the plane back, The Monster Florence which is going to star Antonio Banderas uh, as Mario Spezzi. He, he's, he, I mean, he's a great actor. He finally got that Oscar nomination um, uh, a couple years ago, right? For the Pedro Almodovar movie. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm psyched. I'm looking forward to Indiana Jones 5 just because I'm a big James Mangold guy. Maybe he does something different with the character and just the tone of that movie. I, I don't know if he makes it its own thing or if he tries to make it feel like of a piece with the rest of the films, obviously Spielberg is very much involved, but uh, I do like the cast that, that Mangold assembled for that movie. Uh, the Last of Us added Anna Torv from Mindhunter. And I think that like the headline on this was like, after Mindhunter, Anna Torv joins The Last of Us, which was like a dagger in the heart. Like, oh, so it's just another reminder that we probably will not be getting any more Mindhunter episodes. Um, never played The Last of Us, uh, but I do like the, the cast that they have assembled there. And it, it does sound, like an interesting world. Lee Isaac Chung, the director of Minari, exits Your Name, which is, uh, you know, the big, like, is it like a, a manga adaptation? 
is it manga? I don't even know if you would call it that, but you know, JJ Abrams is, is producing it. I don't know what the scheduling conflict was on that. I don't know if it even was a scheduling conflict or more of a creative thing. It's like the thing you can never trust those reports. You or very rarely can you trust those reports, even from the trades, as opposed, you know, whether it's creative differences, scheduling differences, like, you know, what, what was it really? I don't know. We'll never know. Uh, I mean, that project sounds like it could have been interesting, but at the same time, I, I wasn't necessarily like looking forward to it. Some minor casting stuff, Disappointment Boulevard added uh, Parker Posey, Zoe Lister-Jones, and Stephen McKinley Henderson. That is Ari Aster's new movie. I'd love a, I'd love a, cl a clarification on uh, Ari Aster or Ari Aster, because I, I know Aries and Aries and, and people who, who spell it or pronounce it in all kinds of different ways. Um, Aster is also producing an A24 horror movie from playwright Michael R. Jackson. Gotta have that R in there. So when I saw Michael Jackson A24 movie, I was like, wait, what? Brian Cox joining Kate Beckinsale in Prisoner's Daughter. Hung Chow joining The Menu. That's the that, uh, on Taylor Joy movie. Netflix's Luckiest Girl Alive added, uh, that's the one starring Neil Kunis. And Finn Whitrock, Scoot McNary, Tommy Barbuska, who I really like, and Connie Britton, who's in everything these days. Connie Britton is everywhere. Adrian Brody joined Wes Anderson's next movie in Spain with Bill Murray and Tilda Swinton. Uh, I'm here for the for the Brody sons. Like he, you can sort of feel him mounting a comeback of sorts. Guy's gonna be playing Pat Riley in, in the HBO Lakers series, which you know feels like a huge. For, by the way, love that casting, but that feels like it could be a big show. Um, you know, I, I don't, I didn't get the, the greatest vibe from the French Dispatch reviews, like reading between the lines. It doesn't really feel like much of a, an awards contender um, outside of like production design and, and, you know, those kind of below the line elements. Um, but I am a huge Wes Anderson guy. I'm a diehard. And, and the fact that, you know, he's getting the band back together again with, with Bill Murray and Tilda Swinton and Brody, like I'm down. I'm just hoping for something more uh, narrative because it sounds like the French Dispatch is kind of, you know, episodic. Um, Disney unveiled the Black Widow numbers. I don't know if we talked about that last week, but it was obviously like a, I don't want to call it a game changer because I don't think that it, it is necessarily going to be like a permanent thing. You know, like I said, are they really going to, you know, give us the, the Jungle Cruise numbers? Plus it's not like we got any second, um, second weekend numbers for, for, for Black Widow. I know like, you know, box office probably plummeted and a lot of that had to do with piracy. And I think that, that that's something that studios are going half the way going forward. I mean, they were always, you know, it was, it was always top of mind, but yeah, when you put a, a pristine copy of the movie on Disney plus or on HBO max and Warner brothers case, like, yeah, the pirates are going to rip it and it's going to be all over the, all over the, the, the internet um, in a matter of hours. So that may have, you know, really come into play on, on those Black Widow second to, second weekend numbers. Um, but yeah, you know, the numbers thing, it's something that, you know, all of the industry or, or at least like reps have really pushed for more transparency in an effort to, you know, like, because it affects their actors quotes, right? It's all about what you did for me lately. And so they want to know how many views a movie gets so that they can go, you know, to the next studio that's like, oh, you want to hire Scarlett Johansson? Well, you know, she, she got 60 million views on, uh, on Disney Plus or whatever it is. I guess it was actually more like 2 million. So uh, that was an exaggeration. But you, you know what I'm saying. It, it, it equated to $60, $60 million. Um, and I think that we'll see more of this, but like only when it's hits. It's, it's not like, you know... Netflix is going to start giving you the how many people viewed so and so if not enough people viewed it in their mind in the first 24 hours or four weeks or whatever the hell it is. Um, and again, the, a third party is not vetting any of this stuff. So you, I, I still think you have to take it all with a grain of salt. And I just I, I, I don't know, it's not something I would get too worked up about. Um, unless you're, you know, a stockholder in, in Disney, I suppose. Uh, there were some other interesting things, you know, Zenya uh, Muka um, stepped down from like, the head of Disney's PR operation. Uh, and she is like one of the greats. Like she was at Disney for God, 20, 25 years or something like that. She's been Bob Iger's right hand. Um, and 
yeah, she, she, she's a, she's a tough cookie. I, I dealt with her just, just a few times, I think when I was at the trades, uh, but, I, but I like those kinds of combative PR chiefs, you know, uh, I, and again, I don't know if we talked about this last week, but Brooks Barnes wrote a really good thing in, in, in the New York times about her. And then I just uh, was reading Kim Masters piece on, on THR um, about, about Xenia. And it's like, they just don't make her like her, you know, uh, I think there's this whole shift in the industry to more people being nice. I think that, you know, being nice, it's tough to hold nice people accountable for their mistakes. You know, I just, um, I don't know. I, I, even though I, I certainly have not dealt with, with Zenia in a long time, I, part of me is going to miss her because she represents this kind of old school Hollywood that I think is like, you know, on, on its way out. Uh, there, there was some speculation, I think it was in Matt Bellany's, you know, Puck newsletter, which you guys should all sign up for, about who her successor will be. And, and you know, I think Paul Reeder is the obvious choice. He's done a great job at sort of Xenia's lieutenant in Corpcom over at Disney, uh, at least for like the last 10, 15 years, probably. Um, and then there's Christian Muirhead who, who ran Corpcom for, for WME and, and Mel uh, Zuckerman who runns, um, you know, uh, she, she's with Paul Flug and, and they handle like the Marvel account and, and they represent, you know, some of Hollywood's top talents. Uh, I would love to see any of those three get the gig if only because they know who I am, <laughs> you know, that that goes a long way. Um, but it should be kind of interesting to see what the what the future of, of Disney PR looks like. Um, and congrats to, to Daryl Borquez, a longtime Disney publicist, uh, joining Slate PR, I believe, this week uh, as a VP in its publicity department. Um, toggling back to, to the Netflix of it all, you know, they had this this incident uh, with Slackgate, right, where three senior level movie marketers got fired for basically talking shit. Uh, not necessarily like about their boss, but they were just sort of like venting about things in the, in the company Slack. Um, you know, like when, when Valnet bought Collider, uh, I, I think that there was some, some trepidation, like just like, oh, are they going to be sort of reading our Slack messages and spying on us? And, and, and listen, it's the 21st century. Like you got to be careful what you say and, and where you say it. Obviously, I, I don't think anyone's learned that lesson quite as hard as I have over the course of my career. Um, so yeah, you know, I think that if you want to vent about your boss or just work in general, it's probably done best in person or on the phone or even just like a, a, on text on a phone that you own, not like a company owned phone and certainly not on a Slack where, you know, the, the managers can, can check and just print out a record of everything said. Um, you know, kind of shady that, that none of these executives were named by the press. I mean, if you're getting fired, if you're a senior level marketer person at Netflix and you get fired for cause, I'm sorry, like the, the, the press should be naming you. Uh, and in this case, the press has very much been covering for those executives. And I'm not quite sure why, uh, other than maybe the press feels some sympathy for them because they don't think that they should have, you know, deserved to get fired. I, I don't know, but it, it's very shady that they were not named. Um, to tame one can, which is awesome. I mean, I thought that trailer was fucking, it looked cool as shit. Uh, you guys know if you've been watching this podcast long enough that I really have been advocating um, for Julia DeCornow for basically the last five years, ever since I, I saw Raw, if I had to bet on a single female filmmaker in this industry, it would have been Julia DeCornow. Um, like Jeff Wells, because I still read Hollywood Elsewhere every day, I think you got to get uh, a whole bunch of different opinions. Jeff Wells was you know, talking about it and, and being like, oh, this movie looks like, a, you know, hell to sit through and, and, and just all this kind of stuff. And I sent him an email. I was like, listen, man, do not count Julia DeCornow out because that she's an artist. Like she's a fuck. I go, she's a fucking original. That movie raw was terrific. So like, you know, all these maybe American female filmmakers that make kind of mediocre indie movies and then you know, get these big gigs. And I don't think Julia Dercorna wanted one of those big gigs. She may very well have been sort of courted by people after Raw and studios, and she just wanted to like do her own thing. And I think that's awesome. But I hope that she does not go that route. I want to continue to see more originals from her. Because yeah, I just love her her voice. And I cannot wait to, to, to check out Titane, if that is even how you pronounce it. I don't know if it's Titane, Titane, whatever it is, it looks awesome. And uh, yeah, okay, so Spike, Spike Lee had a little gaffe there and he announced the winner of the Palm d'Or 
early. Um, but it's like, so what? I, I think that that made it like kind of exciting. You know, like if it was just like another boring can ceremony, I don't think anybody would really been talking about it. But uh, Spike knows how, how to get people talking, if, if, if nothing else. So I, I wonder how, if that was a real gaffe or if it was intentional to some degree. Uh, we talked about uh, the being human thing. Um, Macbeth opening the New York Film Festival, which is an interesting choice. Uh, and meanwhile, Toronto, you know, just announced some of its movies. And we're talking about like Dear Evan Hansen and Clifford the Big Red Dog. So I don't know if, if Toronto has the same profile that it once did, but I also feel like, like maybe Telluride doesn't either. So, you know, it, it may just be a case of like the studios have figured out that they don't necessarily need the, the festival buzz if they can do something in Los Angeles uh, or New York and, and do like a big sort of targeted launch rather than just like opening it up to, you know, you know any international critics who, who happen to get a ticket or, or sweet, get into a press screening, whatever it is um, at the festivals. Like they want to be, I think they want to curate their own kind of guest list, not that they don't at the festivals, but um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, that's, I, that's the feeling that I'm getting, that festivals maybe aren't as important as they once were. But I don't know if that's true. We'll see. I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens with CODA fresh off Sundance, considering it's, you know, how it performed like at, at the awards ceremony at that festival uh, earlier this year. Uh, Shailene Woodley doing Three Women at Showtime based on the book by Lisa Taddeo. Uh, Charlize Theron teaming with the Muschettis on the final girl support group. That, 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 that sounded interesting. Um, that's a Grady Hendrix book that I believe just came out. Uh, and it's set, now set up at HBO Max. It's like about a, a group, like a, a survivor's group of, you know, the, the final girls from, from these horror movies. And, and I'm sure someone starts uh, targeting them all over again. I think the big question here is, will Charlize Theron star? Um, you know, I, I feel like Mindhunter was at, at one point maybe developed as, as a starring vehicle for her. Same with, um, what was it? it maybe with Sharp Objects? I don't, possibly. Uh, but I'd like to see Charlize do, do TV. I think that this could be interesting for her. So it's like, yeah, why not, Charlize? Give it, give it a shot. But, I, you know, I'm going to add that to my book list because um, that, that does sound good. And I've, I've, you know, I feel like I've been writing up Brady Hendrick stories for the last few years. Um, congrats to Jake Emanuel and then Willie Block, screenwriters who just sold their Home Invasion thriller, Prowl to New Line. I might know the twist to, their, to that movie, and it's a good one. Uh, so, so congrats to those guys. Um, uh, a, a, a warm farewell to, to Ty Warren, who exited Netflix this week. He will surely be in demand, given what he built over there as the global head of physical production at Netflix. I mean, you can't imagine how many movies at any one time Netflix was, was filming. Um, he just built like a, a production behemoth, if you will. And I think that there are a lot of uh, streamers who would benefit from his experience. Um, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele's new movie is called Nope. And I dig it. I mean, it kind of feels like very of the now. I mean, I'm sure you could find a lot of tweets where my reaction to movies is just like, nope. Uh, and we might even be talking about one uh, in just a few minutes. But um, I, I, I do like that title. And, and again, he's got a, a really interesting cast between Kaluuya and uh, Stephen Yen and, and Kiki Palmer. Uh, I wanted to plug uh, video Drew's Inglorious Bastards quiz. Make sure to head over to her YouTube channel and check that out because I was supposed to compete, you know, from the start, but it was, uh, you know, it was like at 10 p.m. On, on the very last night in Boston with my family. So I was like, you know, I'm going to spend as much time with my family as I can. I don't want to have to like rush home to do this quiz. Uh, but I got there like a half hour late. Wasn't my best performance. I hadn't seen Inglorious Bastards in, in quite a while. But the the uh, nice surprise there was that Sam Levine hosted the quiz, and Sam Levine was obviously in Inglorious Bastards, and not just in in the role that you're thinking. He actually had a second role, uh, which I'm I'm not sure I even knew, or maybe I did and have just forgotten about it. But like after every question, Sam Levine had like this amazing, either an amazing story or a piece of trivia about Inglorious Bastards and working with Quentin and working with Brad. And it was just awesome. Like I thought it was really, really cool. So if you're a fan of, of Tarantino and Glorious Bastards and, and, you know, it's just Sam Levine, check out that video Drew quiz because Levine is just dropping all kinds of just gold nuggets left and right. Um, all right. I think we've reached the, the trailers reviews mailbag portion of the show.
me just see here. Did we talk about everything I wanted to get to? Um, I think so. All right, trailers. Let's start with some trailers. Dune. Didn't watch the new Dune trailer. I mean, I think at this point you're either sold on Dune or you're not. I don't need more cool moments like ruined for me. So yeah, I'm not gonna watch the, the, the Dune trailer. Same thing with like Reservation Dogs. So that was a, a, a project that I didn't really know much about other than it's from Taika Waititi. Um, I watched like a minute of that trailer and I was like, I'm, I'm in, I'm fucking in. This looks awesome. I don't wanna see any more. I don't wanna see any jokes ruined. I wanna be surprised. You know, I, I wish more people would, would, would do that and just like turn off trailers once they've kind of made up their minds. So I am going to go and check out Reservation Dogs on FX or FXX. I'm not exactly sure where it is. Uh, I like that trailer for Heels. That's another one I didn't want to finish. Like, um, I let, I, Stars is tricky. <laughs> they don't, like, I, I can't, I guess The Missing. The Missing was a really good star show, but like they don't have the same original programming that I think the other cable networks and streamers do. Uh, Heels is a smart idea for a show just because so many people are into wrestling. I do like uh, Alexander Ludwig a lot as someone who's in the showdown as a heel, like it appeals to me. Um, you know, everybody wants to be the hero and to walk into the stadium and, and be loved, right? But like not everybody gets to do that. Like there has to be a, a bad guy and the bad guy's job is to make you love to hate him, right? That's sort of what I did in the Schmodown. So it just seems like a very interesting dynamic. And even though I'm not the biggest wrestling guy, uh, I'm, I'm down to check that show out if I had stars or if I had, you know, got a hold of the, these screeners. Uh, brand new Cherry Flavor. That's a new Netflix show with Rosa Salazar. It's one I can't really wrap my head around. I've heard it's kind of interesting, involves magic and, and filmmaking and, and you know, Hollywood and stuff like that. But um, yeah, the, the, the trailer kind of left me scratching my head a little bit. Uh, Netflix released trailers for, right, that, that is a Netflix show, but Clickbait with Adrian Grenier. And it's like a Me Too type of thing. And, and I think that, you know, like the guy gets kidnapped and tortured and like, you know, put it online. And, and if it gets 5 million likes, this guy's either going to die or I don't know, something terrible is going to happen to him. Uh, so it, I think it just addresses like our own bloodlust on, on, online. Uh, it, it looked interesting though, for, uh, you know, a show starring Vinny Chase. Uh, the Chair. I started watching The Chair. Odd tone for that show. I don't know how much, I can't really say much more because it's Embargo. It's with Sandra Oh and, and Jay Duplass, but it, I don't know. It's from Amanda Pete. I think she co-created the show. I'm willing to keep going with it. I just, uh, it was a little all over the place. You can kind of tell watching the, the, the trailer, like there's a moment where Jay Duplass is like riding a scooter and hits a curb and like goes over like a, a bunch of, you know, a hedge of bushes. And it's like, what show is this again? Uh, Cocaine Cowboys, the Kings of Miami. I mean, I, I like the Cocaine Cowboys documentary from a while back from, from Billy Corbin. I mean, this is just kind of like writing. It's, you know, it's another narcos drug trafficking kind of show with the Cocaine Cowboys brand slapped on it, right? But it looked interesting enough. I, I, I would be down to check that out on, on a slow weekend or something. We got a trailer for The Problem with Jon Stewart. Uh, you know, it, it, it focused a lot on, on the space wars. It was... It was um, I mean, not bad. There wasn't any really like much John Stewart in it. It was mostly Jason Alexander as Jeff Bezos, but uh, it was clever. You know, like having a mop play Richard Branson. Like it, it, um, it wasn't. It didn't. It wasn't as highbrow as maybe I expected a John Stewart show to be. And I think that's a good thing because I wasn't you know, the world's biggest Daily Show guy. Um. We're working our way backwards here to the big one, by the way. Vacation Friends. Did, wasn't expecting a red band trailer for this. It was kind of a, a filthy um, trailer. With, with, and it's, it's John C. C. Ryan. It's not John C. Ryan. It's John Cena. They couldn't be further apart. Um, John Cena and Lil Rel Howery. And it's like these two couples who met on vacation. And then it's like, all right, well, hey, take care. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. And the other, and, and, and then one couple sort of comes back into the other's lives and, wreaks havoc i mean listen there aren't a lot of comedies this summer it's what i told hulu when i asked for a link like a week or two ago um and i knew i was like way ahead of where they were as far as links and stuff goes i was just like man i need a laugh i need a fucking comedy and and i don't care how stupid it is 
I'm probably, you know, I, I'm excited to see it. I think that people will want to see it because the studios have just stopped fucking making comedies. It's crazy. So, you know, just so they can make a, another, a, a third Conjuring movie or another fucking comic book movie that we don't need. It's, it's really wild. Uh, it, it, they're, they're really neglecting that. And I think that's why, you know, if I, if I want to laugh these days, I, I'll go watch Ted Lasso or I'll go watch Dave on FX. Like, what the fuck? Um, even that Apple show with Paul Rudd and Will Ferrell coming out. I know that there's some dramatic components to that, but it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that show. Um, right. Speaking of, of conjuring and, and horror movies and all that shit, we got two movies coming out from name brand filmmakers, James Wan and Neil Blomkamp. They are uh, malignant and demonic. I'm sure I'm going to confuse these for the rest of time. Um, I've heard malignant was laughable. Uh, for, from someone who, who saw maybe a test screening. I, I heard that audiences were laughing at it and it looked not good. I mean, Annabelle, when, I mean, the leads of these movies are Annabelle Wallace and, and Carly Pope. Like, I don't mean to like be mean to either one of them, but you know, not, 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 the, not Marlon Brando or Meryl Streep or anything right there. Um, Malignant, even if I didn't know what I know about it, Look at the title, the way that the title comes up and like the T splits. I think it kind of gives it away a little bit there. Um, and demonic, demonic to me looked better than malignant. Maybe it was just like the low budget vibe of it. I'm sure malignant didn't cost much either. Uh, and I'm also looking forward to just seeing Neil Blomkamp get back on the horse. I like his movies, even like like District 9, which got the Oscar nomination and everything, that's probably like my least favorite. I, I liked Elysium perhaps a little bit more, maybe. I, I, I just, District 9 didn't really stick with me. Um, Elysium I had fun with, and I really like Chappie. So like I'm down to see him try his hand at a completely different genre, at a completely different like budget level and everything. Um, and just... It, it just looked grittier, you know, like Malignant looked very slick and that's not really what I'm looking for out of, out of a horror movie. Uh, the big trailer this week that everybody was talking about though was The Last Duel. Like when I landed in uh, on the plane in, in LA, I had like multiple texts and messages about Ben Affleck's blonde haircut in this thing. I actually thought he looked fine. Um, I mean, sure he looks ridiculous in that haircut just as Matt Damon looks, you know, ridiculous with his like, you know, <laughs> medieval mullet or whatever it is. And, and, but like the facial scarring looked badass on him. They look wildly different. Whereas like Adam Driver just walks in looking like Adam Driver. I mean, I'm not quite sure what to make of this movie. It looks like a bit of a challenge. Um, I mean, it's like, it's like a Me Too movie set in like the Gladiator days. So I've heard that the, the, that the rape scenes or sexual assault scenes, whatever we want to call it, since I'm not sure exactly, you know, what happens there. Um, I heard that they were tough to watch, as they should be. I mean, you know, really, Scott's not going to make it easy for you. But like, I'm not getting the vibe. I just don't think Ridley Scott is the kind of guy who delivers like a Best Picture winner. And I love Ridley Scott's movies, but I mean, yeah, I know he did Gladiator, but he just doesn't. I don't know, I'm skeptical that, that either that movie or House of Gucci are going to win Best Picture this year. Very, very, very skeptical. Like the guy moves almost just like a little too quick for my taste. Um, the trailer was odd, you know, with, with like the crosses, lots of crosses, lots of motion. And even like the, the title design there was, was I, I mean, I thought it looked interesting, but I could see other people being like, no, nah, I don't want to see this. Um, yeah, I'll be very curious what trailer two looks like there, what the reviews are like, like that, that, that could be an interesting one. Um, it could, could go either way. Oof, reviews, not a great week on the review front guys. Um, I saw the Val Kilmer documentary, Val, that was, that was okay. I, I didn't love it like a lot of people have. I did maybe tear up once or twice you know, it is, I want to criticize the movie that they made, not the movie that I thought that they should have made. And it's obviously complicated by the fact that Val Kilmer is still very much alive. You know, it's tough. So it's a self-portrait. 
And I think that that is what makes it interesting. But at the same time, I think it, it, it needed additional context. I would have liked to have heard Val's filmmakers, uh, you know, the filmmakers he's worked with and, and the actors that he's worked with, you know, more from them sort of talking about Val and, and providing this outside context rather than him just sort of telling his own story um, and using his, his son's words to, uh, or, you know, voice to do it. Um, there's a lot in there to, to recommend. Like, I, I would definitely watch it, like, especially if you're a Val Kilmer fan or just like a, a fan of the movies of that era and stuff. There's a great little bit with like Sean, a young, very young Sean Penn and Kevin Bacon. Um, and it just shows that like these guys, they are just like us to an extent. They're, they're fallible. They get sick, you know, they get cancers. Uh, and, and, and it's just sad. It's, it's sad because he was such a beautiful guy and, and so talented and an actor needs their, their voice. Um, I mean, they're an actor, you know, yeah you don't need it necessarily, but, uh, you know, having a voice is obviously a big part. It's a, it's a big tool in, in an actor's toolbox. And, and so I felt really bad for Val, you know, um, watching the film, but it was also an act of courage that he even made it, you know? Uh, it's, he, he's a visual guy, you know? And, and, and so it's like better than writing just a memoir that, you know, I probably wouldn't have read. Um, so I, I definitely recommend Val, which is coming to Amazon Prime Video soon. Boy, the boy behind the door on on Shutter, I thought was okay. Um, maybe not quite, didn't quite live up to the reviews that I had read. But the the two kids I thought were good. I just thought the movie had a bit of a villain problem. Um, but you know, if you're a big horror person and, and have Shutter, like by all means, check it out on on that site. Pig, I don't know if we talked about that one, um, but I liked it. I like I liked Pig. Uh, I, I, I didn't love it like some critics did, but um, it was very, there's something very poetic about it. And I, I really liked all the performances. Uh, you know, Nicolas Cage, you haven't seen anything like this from him in a long time. It, it's a very quiet, calibrated performance. Alex Wolf is great. Adam Arkin's really good. I like the cinematography from Pat Scola. Uh, and it's a great story that, that Michael Sarnowski, the director, and, and um, Vanessa Block, the producer, came up with. I actually did a really long interview with Vanessa Block, uh, who's a friend of mine. And uh, she was very um, articulate about, you know, why she, you know, what this film meant to her, why she did it, some of like the, the hidden stuff underneath. Um, and she talked about the femininity in the film. Um, because I did think that it had that, that touch, you know, like it, 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 Pig is a, is a female and Nick Cage is also uh, a widower in this movie. And um, th there's just a lot of sensitivity to it. So, you know, the end of the movie, it doesn't give you maybe what you're expecting. So I understand why some re reviews may have called it like dramatically unsatisfying. Um, but I think like, I mean, it's, it's, it's an art film. And, and I think that there is a lot to like it and, and um, it has a lot to offer. I believe it has like a 98% fresh rock, uh, or sorry, uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So people are really digging it. And I, and I hopefully it leads to bigger and better things for, for Vanessa, for Michael. And, uh, you know, I, I want to see Nick Cage doing more roles like this. Like, yeah, sure. It would have been fun to see him do Joe, Joe Exotic, but he's no longer doing that now. And uh, yeah, hopefully he seeks out this kind of work. You know, I know he likes to work and that's how he ends up in so many kind of, you know, movies that get jacked, turned up to 10. Um, but yeah, this is definitely one uh, tracking down. It's not what you're expecting. It's not John Wick with Pig. Uh, Space Jam, A New Legacy. I watched that this week. Wow. Wow. That was bad. I mean, that's just like a commercial for other Warner Brothers properties. LeBron can't act. I mean, you know, Malcolm D. Lee, I think he got, he was in a tough situation because he kind of came in late in the process, particularly for a movie like this one, uh, replacing Terrence Nance. I don't even know how Terrence Nance fucking got on this movie in the first place. I, I no wonder he bailed though. Like this thing, it was, it was embarrassing. I felt bad for LeBron watching this thing and, and, you know, okay. There may be one or two like sweet father son moments, you know, Don Cheadle's obviously committed to his algae rhythm bit, but like, no, this 
I mean, Space Jam, it's not like Space Jam was best picture material, the original with Michael Jordan, but this is like well below that. And just the tunes just like did not register at all. Like Bugs Bunny. And it was just like too much LeBron, to be honest. I just don't know how much like, I mean, yeah, yeah kids like playing basketball. I'm sure a lot of kids look up to LeBron, but like, I don't know how many like six and seven year olds are like staying up watching NBA games. Like they want to watch the fucking Looney Tunes. Just give them that. Which brings us to the big review of the day. We saved the best for last. And that is M night Shyamalan's old, which I saw last night. And it was a great disappointment. I have to say, um, you know, I was familiar with this story because I, I, I was the one who broke the news that it was based on Sandcastle, the, the, the French graphic novel. Now that graphic novel doesn't have an, any ending just kind of like, it, it just ends. And I guess you could say because it ends, that's its ending, but there's no like a real ending here. So I imagine that M. Night read that and was like, oh, what a great sort of starting point for a movie. And like, you know, I can come, come up with the reason why these people have been brought to this beach. Um, and I actually liked what he came up with. The problem was that it was too little too late and I didn't feel like it was seated enough throughout the movie. Like it, it's, he it just doesn't set the twist up enough for me. And so it kind of just comes out of left field. And in, even though I liked it, it didn't, it just didn't feel earned. Um, and I won't obviously say what it is. Don't worry. Uh, but the performances all felt very stilted. I didn't really, I, there's not one performer out of this entire group. And it's a good cast that I would be like, oh, that person was good. Didn't really care for Gael Garcia Bernal or, or Vicky Creeps or Bruce Sewell or Alex Wolf or Thomason. Like, yeah, I, I, I thought M. Night assembled a pretty good cast and just wasted them. Um, and, and again, this is a pandemic movie. It was shot in the pandemic. It's, you know, everybody's outside. Uh, you know, that, that may have had something to do with it. I, I don't know. Maybe these actors just wanted a free trip to Hawaii or wherever the hell they were filming. I, I, I don't actually know where it was filmed. But uh, yeah, I had seen a tweet a couple of days ago that was like, old is like, you know, the, the new, the happening or skewed closer to the happening than like unbreakable. Cause you know, some people were like, this is like the best thing he's done since unbreakable. No, I got to say that this is closer to the happening end of the scale. Uh, I had glass on my top 10, you know, the year that it came out two years ago. I think M night is, is a genius. I think he's brilliant, but um, he just didn't, just, this one didn't do it for me. This is one where I would go on Twitter and tweet, nope, nope. And, and Frosty really liked it. He, he texted me after the movie and wanted to know what I thought. And, and uh, I was like, it was not for me. And he's just like, you know, we, we got different tastes in movies. I was like, that, that we do, that we do, Steve. Um, and that's okay. It takes all kinds. And, I, and I, I'm sure that there are people who will respond to this movie. Um, and, you know, there were themes about it, like themes of family and, and you know, time, running out of time, that kind of thing uh, that, that, that hit me. But, yeah, just did not work for me. I, I didn't care for the cinematography either. I mean, he's got to keep certain things and, and actors out of frame so that they can, like, age, like, in the middle of these weird shots. Um, I, I, I guess that's really the problem that I had with this, that the movie's called Old, right? And we've seen, most people entering that movie have seen a trailer for the movie, or at least know like what it's about. So playing the whole aging thing for, as like a discovery in the movie, it, just like there's no tension here. There's no suspense, really. Uh, it just kind of seemed inevitable, uh, you know, like... The, the, the outcome seemed very inevitable uh, for the most part. Anyways, old, let me know what you think because I'm very, very curious. Uh, and with that, I guess we can do the, the mailbag stuff. I thought this was going to be a longer episode, but I guess I kind of just went right through the news. There wasn't much to really say about these things, you know, these things really, because I haven't seen Michaela Cole's show. I hadn't seen In the Heights. I feel like I'm failing you guys by not seeing enough of this shit. Um, all right, mailbag. We'll start with Keltrick Pickens. Sorry, I, I was uh, moving the camera there. Forgive me, Thad. I apologize. 
Uh, Caltrick says, hey, Jeff, hope all is well with you. Just have one question for you this week. As we near the release of Dune, can we be honest about its box office performance? If Blade Runner 2049 flopped, why do people expect the general audience to show up for Dune? Something most people have never even heard of. I just see so many folks on film Twitter expecting this movie to be a massive hit. I just don't see it. What do you think? I think you're absolutely right, Keltrick. You can't go by film Twitter. These people live in a fucking, a fucking bubble of their own design, okay? They are not the real world. Twitter is not the real world. Twitter is this heightened version of reality where everybody loves things or hates things and there's no fucking middle and people are heroes for the day or villains for the day and there's no, like, it's just, it's a black and white place in a world of gray. Uh, Dune is going to not do well. I don't really care. You know, I, I mean, okay, Timothy Chalamet is, is a huge star and the cast is great. People like Josh Brolin and Oscar Isaac and Jason Momoa and these people. You know, they also like Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling. Like, I mean, to me, Dune seems more accessible than Blade Runner 2049, mainly because Blade Runner 2049 was a sequel. So if you hadn't seen Blade Runner, which I'm not a big fan of either, I know. It's like, okay, well, am I, you know, why am I going to see 2049? Dune at least starts anew. Um, so I think it will maybe perform better than Blade Runner 2049. I don't know how the pandemic is going to affect the numbers. And, and plus it's supposedly going on HBO Max the same day. So like the box office ain't going to be great. Yeah, I want to see that movie on the biggest screen possible. But how many people, I just don't, you know, like when you're offering a movie like that for free on HBO Max, you're cannibalizing your own audience. Maybe you get, you know, more signups that, you know, that way. But like, I think you'd make a lot more money just leaving this as a, a, three, a, a theatrical exclusive. And then after, you know, whatever the window is, then you put it on HBO Max. There will still be people who sign up for it then. But if you're, tell, if you're giving most people the option, go to the theater and lay out, 30, you know, 30, 40 bucks for, for two tickets and, and parking and popcorn and a babysitter and everything, or stay home and watch it for free on your big ass screen. That's exactly what they're going to do. So yeah, I don't think that this is going to be like a billion dollar movie or anything close to it, which is probably what they, you know, some, they, they must've had in mind something close to that figure when they greenlit this thing at the budget that they did. Cause otherwise, why would you budget it at that level? Right. If you're going to make a $200 million movie, you got to make a fuck ton of money. So I just, you know, sometimes you have to spend gobs of money like that just because, you know, if you don't spend them this year, you're not going to get the same budget next year, or, you know, whatever it is. But I, I, I don't understand some of these huge bets. I, I don't know. When people say, is this going to be closer to Avatar or John or the next John Carter? I would have to say it's going to be closer to the next John Carter. Um, if only because Avatar wasn't really so much like about selling us the story. It was about selling us the new tech. And I don't know that we're being sold any new tech in this movie. The last question uh, hails from Peter Mills, uh, which is a long ass thing. And I haven't read it all, but it all seems of a piece. So I'm going to actually read this long ass email in its entirety before responding. Peter Mills writes, Jeff, I read on the Collider website that Showtime are doing a Ray, a Ray Donovan two-hour movie uh, to wrap it up, and, and Ray Donovan show fans like myself will take it, but it's not enough. Given how the Paramount Plus streaming service needs a lot of new content, and the last year announced some really terrible bullshit scripted shows they'll do, like a Grease prequel show, could Ray Donovan's producers lobby Viacom, who own both Showtime and Paramount Plus, with a pitch to finance eighth and ninth seasons of the Ray Donovan show? Ray Donovan shouldn't have moved its production to New York City as New York City is extremely expensive to shoot in. They could make the pitch that in season eight, Ray will move to his hometown of Boston for a few months where it would shoot as Ray would get involved with Boston mobster figures and season nine would be set back in LA. A difference with Paramount Plus is when the new season of Dexter and all other Showtime shows screen on Paramount Plus, its subscribers could get two options. If you agree to pay $5 or $10 extra a month for that service, you'd get the whole season of 12 uh, of 12 eps of Ray Donovan season eight stream to you in one hand so you can binge it but if you don't want to pay extra you'd only get one episode a week oh that's interesting that's an interesting idea like saying putting an entire season's worth of a show behind some kind of like a, a modest paywall not a 30 dollar disney premiere access thing um but like you know would you spend five or ten dollars extra to be able to watch the show all at once or are you going to drag it out for three or four months that that is an interesting concept peter i will give you that 
Uh, he says, I'm not in the U.S., but I take the view that all Showtime content should be brought into Paramount+. Plus. So when you subscribe to it, there'd be a tab on it for Showtime like there is for Marvel and Star Wars content on Disney+. Plus. But because Showtime can show so much more explicit violent content, Showtime could have a pin to access it so little kids can't get to it. I also think Paramount Plus should do a Mission Impossible spinoff show <clears throat> that would have like six to 10 eps a season and it'd have a minimum $150 million budget a season. Plus it'd have Tom Cruise appear briefly in only the first episode, but he'd not appear in any other episodes as he's too expensive. That's the end of the, the email there. Peter, that's another great idea. I think you're full of great ideas today. I, I think that yes, if Paramount wants to be the next Marvel, then it will have to come up with those types of Marvel shows. So, you know, and I don't think it's Star Trek, you know, so a mission, like taking Mission Impossible back to its TV roots, doing something on the IMF with only, you know, Tom Cruise in, in one episode or whatever, that could be interesting. I wonder if like Simon Pegg, you know, would, would anchor a show like that uh, with him maybe sort of training his replacement, his, the new Benji or something like that. Um, man, if I was a better writer, I, I'd, I'd come up with a, a pitch myself and try to get it to Paramount Plus. Uh, as far as Ray Donovan goes, I mean, I think that show, as much as I love it, was a little long in the tooth. I am glad that it's getting a two-hour movie because I, I don't think it should have just, you know, they, <clears throat> it needed a, a proper ending. But I don't know that I need two more full seasons of, of that show. I, I wouldn't be opposed to, to some kind of spinoff, like following, you know, John Voight's Mickey and his further adventures, if in fact he even survives. But... I don't know. There's a lot of different ways you could do it, uh, go with it. But I, I do think that you're right, that, that those are both two decent properties uh, that Paramount Plus could stand to, to do something with. Like, rather than trying to create new fan bases, like, okay, play to the ones that you've already created on, on Showtime. Uh, yeah, that I think will do it for the show. Let me just check the email and make sure nothing else major broke. Oh, Dan Casey, the Fast Nine writer, got hired to do uh, Battle of the Planets for like uh, Agbo and the Russo brothers. Um, hmm. Oh, wait, there may be one other thing. Hold on. God, there's these weird Paramount Plus embargoes and shit. What is going on here? No, I don't care about that. And do I care about this? God, slow internet, slow. No, I don't care. Okay, that'll do it for the show. That's it. My email is clean. I don't have any other late-breaking things to tell you about. Um, yeah, q and out for apartments. If you, if you know any good buildings and, and you live in Los Angeles, I'm down. I'm down to do it. But, yeah, stay safe. That Delta uh, you know, variant is going around. Still got to wear the mask. Wear them indoors. Keep washing your hands. This thing ain't over, folks. I want it to be, but it's not. We're only going to get out of it together. I'll see you next week on the Snyder Cut. Take care. Bye.